Morgan, I love that song. Great message in that song. Thank you for sharing it with us. Well, if you'll open your Bibles to John chapter 17, we are still talking about being an overcomer in this world dominated by sin and hatred. John 16, Jesus said, In this world you will have trouble, tribulation, but be of good cheer. Man, of, of, all, of all seasons, this time of the year, we ought to be of good cheer. He says, be of good cheer. How can we be of good cheer in this crazy, crazy world and all the sorrow and suffering that's going on? Well, he said, because I have overcome the world. Jesus is the ultimate overcomer. But he also gave instructions to his disciples in John 14, 15, and 16. And that private conversation between he and his disciples in the upper room before he went to the Garden of Gethsemane about how they can be and we can be overcomers. So now we're in John 17. We're looking at what Jesus is asking the Father for, for each one of his followers. And it's not just for those in that day, because he tells us that he's praying also for those who would believe in his name through their testimony. So that's what we're considering today, is the high priestly prayer of Christ and how Jesus is asking on our behalf, to help us be an overcomer. You know, a typical greeting at this time of the year is happy holidays. Happy holidays. Happy. Isn't that what life is all about? You know, our Declaration of Independence begins like this, or it says this, We hold these truths to be sacred and undeniable, that all men are created equal and independent. That from that equal creation, they derive rights inherent and unalienable, among which are the preservation of life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Pursuit of happiness. You know, I looked up a particular study, and it was top ten things that make people happy. And I was kind of encouraged when I read, as they had conducted this survey, of what people said made them happy. First of all, family and relationships was number one. I think you would agree. That's something that makes us happy. Meaningful work is number two. Number three, positive thinking. Number four was gratitude. Number five was forgiveness. Number six was giving. Number seven was religion. Number eight was personal freedom. Number nine was good health. And number ten, watching TV. <laughs> All those Christmas movies makes you happy. What makes you happy? You know, happiness is what we all pursue. But the problem with the pursuit of happiness is that if that's what we're after... We'll do almost anything to get it, even compromise our values and our beliefs. Like former NFL quarterback for the Washington Redskins and ESPN commentator Joe Theismann, as he allegedly explained to his soon-to-be ex-second wife why he had an affair. He said to her, God wants Joe Theismann to be happy. That was his reasoning. Is happiness God's ultimate desire for us? I do believe God wants us to be happy. Look at the Garden of Eden. Look at the description of heaven in the Bible. Aren't those places 
places intended to make God's creation happy. But let's not forget, what makes those things happy? What makes those places happy? Well, first of all, the Garden of Eden in heaven was the presence of God. And the Garden of Eden in heaven was absent of sin. In heaven, the Bible tells us, and by the way, when, when Adam and Eve sinned, they had to leave the Garden of Eden. And then thorns and thistles and sweat and labor and pain afflicted their existence. Not so happy now, huh? In heaven, the Bible says that, that nothing that causes an abomination or a lie will be there. So if, if indeed it is God's desire for us to be happy, we must understand that this happiness is not found outside of God or outside of obedience to God. In other words, if we desire to be happy, then we cannot pursue happiness in and of itself. Because if we do, then happiness becomes our idol. And we'll do just about anything to try to satisfy that desire for happiness. Instead, we must pursue something better, something higher, nobler. And as we do, we, we will find the happiness that God intended us to have all along. Because God does want you to be happy, but not outside of Him or outside of His will. So what is it then that we must pursue if we truly want to be happy? And it's something Jesus prayed for in John 17. And if you look at verse 17, we'll find what that one thing is. He says in John 17, 17, Sanctify them by your truth. The word sanctify, the Greek word is hagiadzo, and it means to make holy. It was the desire and prayer of our Savior that we be holy. Therefore, our pursuit should not be our own happiness, but our holiness. In fact, the Bible says in Hebrews 12, 14, Pursue holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. You know, it's quite popular these days to substitute the phrase Merry Christmas with the phrase Happy Holidays. In so doing, irreligious people mistakenly think they are taking the aspect of religion out of the holiday greeting. But ironically and comically, they are not. In fact, they're doing quite the opposite. Holiday is from the Old English holigdeg. Holig means holy. Deg means day. So when they're saying, and, and that word, holy day, or a holigdeg, means holy day, consecrated day, religious anniversary. It means a religious festival. So when somebody's wishing you happy holidays, you know, it's naturally, that phrase is naturally applied to Christmas because Christmas is a holiday or a holy day. So when someone wishes you happy holidays and they don't want to say Merry Christmas, just remind them what they're saying. What they're saying to you is, I hope you enjoy this holy occasion we're celebrating. That's what they're saying. Happy holidays. I hope you enjoy this holy occasion that we're celebrating. So when they say, happy holidays, why don't you say, do you know what that means? It's a great opportunity to witness. It means that you're wishing me enjoyment of this holy occasion. And what is the holy occasion that we're celebrating? It's Christmas. 
God made this day holy. He sanctified it when he sent his son Jesus Christ to die on Calvary, to be born in a manger and then to die on Calvary's cross for our sin. Happiness versus holiness. Let me talk about that this morning. The two are not mutually exclusive. Did you know you can be happy and holy at the same time? You see, some people have this concept that if I'm holy, I'm unhappy. Or if I'm happy, I'm unholy. That's because you have sinful desires. And you know that you can't satisfy those sinful desires in an unholy way. And let me ask you something. When you try to satisfy those sinful desires in an unholy way, are you really happy or are you miserable? And let me tell you what, if you're saved, you're miserable. Happiness and holiness go hand in hand. They're not mutually exclusive. I've heard some well-meaning people say, God doesn't care about our happiness. God does, uh, God's only concerned about our holiness. Well, I disagree with that. I think God does care about our happiness. And God doesn't require that we be one or the other. But that we understand that holiness begets happiness. Not the other way around. True happiness is found in holiness. Let me give you just a, a quick run-through. You won't see these on the screen, but let me give you a quick run-through in the Scriptures. First of all, in Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 29, the Bible says, Happy are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord. So what is he saying there? Those who are saved are what? Happy. Psalm 32. In fact, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the word blessed, B-L-E-S-S-E-D, is often substituted for the word happy. In the New Testament, it's, we, we find it in several places. I'm going to point out in just a moment. But in Psalm 32, it says, Blessed or happy is the person whose sin is forgiven, whose transgression is covered. Covered with what? The blood of Jesus Christ. You see, you're happy. You're, you're blessed when your sins are forgiven. In Psalm chapter one, uh, Job 5.17, Job said, Happy is the man who God corrects when he disciplines you. Psalm 1 says, Happy is the man who, who dwells. It says, Blessed is the man who dwells or meditates in the Word of God day and night. He doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. He doesn't stand with sinners. He doesn't sit in the seat of the scornful. He's happy. He's blessed because he meditates on the Word of God. Psalm 144 says, Blessed is the man, or happy is the man, whose God is the Lord. In Psalm 146, he says, Blessed is the man whose hope is in the Lord. Proverbs 3 says, Happy is he who finds wisdom and understanding. Proverbs 14, Happy is he who has mercy on the poor. Proverbs 16, Blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. Proverbs 28, Happy is he who is always reverent. Proverbs 29, Happy is he who keeps the law. And then if we looked at the Beatitudes, which uh, the word is blessed in the New King James Version, it could be just as easily translated happy. But he said, happy or blessed are the poor in spirit. Happy and blessed are the merciful, those that mourn, those who are meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who are pure in heart, those who are peacemakers. Let me ask you that. All those things I just said, does that sound like holiness or unholiness? Sounds like holiness. And what does he say about those people that are doing those things? They're what? Happy. So scripture is quite clear that holiness leads to happiness. The word holy in, in various forms appears over 600 times in the Bible, yet why do so few understand what holiness is? We don't want to talk about it because none of us feel holy. 
And that's what I want to address this morning. Because, as George Barna learned in a survey that he conducted, that, you know, the Bible talks a lot about holiness, but most adults are confused, even daunted by the concept of holiness. In fact, when asked to describe what it means to be holy, most born-again believers respond like this, I don't know. But yet the Scripture talks about it in 600 different places. Why don't we know what holiness is? Why don't we? And he also goes on to say that they not only not understand it, but they don't desire it. And they do little, if anything, to pursue holiness. So I want to answer some questions this morning. First of all, what is holiness? Who makes us holy? How are we made holy? And what part do you and I play in that? First of all, Jesus said, sanctify them, Father, by your truth. He prayed that we would be holy, that God would make us holy. So what is holiness? What is this concept of sanctify? Sanctify and holy are the same thing. In its simplest meaning, it means the setting apart of a person or a thing from a common use to a, a purposeful use, a godly or a holy use. And so the blessing that Jesus asked for here in John 17 was that his followers be set apart, be consecrated to God, that they be chosen vessels of his, fit for God's use. You see, under the Jewish law, you see this in the Old Testament, certain things were ordained to the service of the Lord, like the firstborn were sanctified, set apart for God's use. Out of the tribe of uh, uh, out of all of Israel, one tribe was sanctified to, be, to minister in the temple. Remember what tribe that was? Levi. Out of the tribe of Levi, one family was chosen, sanctified, to be the priest. What, what family was that? That was Aaron's family. A certain type of tent, which we call or know the tabernacle, was sanctified by the service of God. Everybody else lived in tents, but this particular tent was set apart as the place where people met God. It, it, was, a, it was a holy place. There was a uh, certain types of bread and an ingredients for that bread and the way it was prepared, certain types of oil and, and incense that were used in the service of the worship of the Lord in the tabernacle and the temple. And God said, you can't make it any, you can't make that in your own homes for your own use. The way, the prescription I've given you, the, the ingredients, the recipe is only for the temple. It's sanctified, it's set apart, it's holy. Well, the same is true of us as followers of Jesus. We are not the world's. If you belong to Jesus Christ, you're not, you don't belong to this world. You don't belong to the devil. Guess what? You don't even belong to you. Do you know that's what the Bible says? You are not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You see, you didn't just give your soul to God. You gave your whole life, body, soul, and spirit to Him. We are sanctified. We've been set apart, consecrated to God. The moment you gave your life to Jesus Christ, Jesus, God answered Jesus' prayer. I have sanctified them. I have set them apart for my use. Those who belong to God, we are separated from all others. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, comes the call to the church, to the believers in Jesus, like this. 
In 2 Corinthians 6.14, he says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? What communion has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with the devil? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. Just as the temple was set apart, the tabernacle was set apart, you are now that temple. You are now that tabernacle of God. And he says, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate. That is, be holy, be sanctified, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. And chapter 7, verse 1 says this, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. And Jesus said in John 17, back in our text, He says, He reminds the Father, or He just says in His prayer, He says, Father, they're, they're not of this world. Look at verse 16. They are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. That's what holy means. You are not of this world. You've been set apart. So I want you to think of yourself. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you've trusted Him as your Savior and Lord, I want you to think to yourself, I am holy. And you know what? Thinking, action follows thinking. That's the Bible. The Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, what? So is he. You know what? You don't think you're holy, so guess what? How you live? unholy but if you start thinking yourself as the uh, start thinking of yourself as the bible says you are maybe not maybe definitely you will start living differently i am holy i have been consecrated i have been set apart for god's use therefore i cannot participate in that that's not something that i've been set apart to do i am separated i will come out from among that and be separate so it involves consecration but it also involves a transformation holiness in the sense of being set apart by god is to be accompanied by an inward transformation you know there's elements of our sinful nature that's got to be rooted out and by the way let me say this right here and right now holiness in the sense of transformation is not a one-time act the holiness in the sense of consecration is a one-time act did you know that the moment you give your life to Jesus Christ, you are set apart unto Him. You have been made holy. Once God made the, the line of Levi set apart for Him, they were forever be His, his servants. Same was true for the temple and the tabernacle. Same is true for believers and followers in Jesus. Once you have been set apart to God, you're His forever. But the, the holiness as transformation is a process. Because you didn't get saved and become perfect, oh, did you? If you think you did, lean over and ask your wife or your husband. They'll make sure you know you, you didn't. It's a process. But there's, there's attitudes of pride and selfishness that, that has to be destroyed and, and dealt with day after day. Thoughts, desires, affections, all that has to come under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And it's a process. It's progressive. It's something that we surrender to day in and day out. As Paul said, I die daily. What he was saying was every day I have to die to myself 
so that Christ can sanctify me and make me holy and use me for his purposes. Because if I didn't die to myself, then I would live for me. I would do what I wanted to do, what I felt like doing. But I'm holy. So second question, first question, what is holiness? Well, it's, it's being set apart, and it's allowing God through the Holy Spirit to transform me from the inside out. <coughs> Secondly, who does this? Well, holiness is not native to us as human beings. God alone is holy. And He's the source of our holiness. Holiness or sanctification is God's work. Only God can take an unclean thing and set it apart as clean. You know, all those things that they used in the temple, in the tabernacle, you know, those were just common, ordinary things. A goblet, a fork or utensil, an animal. Those were just normal, everyday things. But once they were consecrated to God, they became holy. It was holy because it was God's. And God made it holy. You see, I can't take an unclean vessel, me, and make myself clean. Only God can do that. Only God can take an unclean person like you and me and make us clean. Only God can take an unworthy person like you and me and make us worthy, fit for His use. We cannot make ourselves holy. Listen to 1 Corinthians 5.23. The Bible confirms this as the Scripture says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit soul and body be preserved blameless until the coming of our lord jesus christ you see god sanctifies us completely body soul and spirit it is his work only the holy god can make a person who's common and unclean, holy. You remember Peter's vision in Acts, right? He had a vision that the sheet was let down from heaven, and in this sheet were all manner of unclean animals that the Jewish law said was unclean, unholy. You, you didn't eat these if you were a Jew. And the, in the vision, he heard God saying, Peter, rise and eat. And Peter responded in his dream, Lord, I will not, cannot eat anything that's common and unclean. And God rebuked him and said, Peter, don't you dare call what I have cleansed common. Don't you care, dare call what I have sanctified unholy. But in the Jewish mind it was. But God said, hey, I've made it clean. You see, only God can do that. Only God can sanctify. Only God can make you holy. How does he do that? Jesus addressed this when he prayed in John 17. He said, sanctify them by your truth. The word by answers the how question. How are we sanctified? First of all, it's by the truth of Jesus Christ and his shed blood on Calvary's cross. By the truth of Jesus Christ. See, John chapter 1, the Bible says the law came by Moses. The law doesn't sanctify you. It's not by your keeping the law and your obeying, obeying the letter of the law or God's word that makes you clean and righteous and holy. The Bible says by the law, Moses, by, uh, by Moses came the law. But he said, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. You see, we needed grace because we're all lawbreakers, every one of us. And if you've broken just one law, you're guilty of breaking the whole thing. And, and, and the Bible says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. 
And that if we have sinned, then we deserve death. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth. Jesus prayed, sanctify them by your truth. But before he prayed that in John 14, he told his disciples, I am the truth. No man comes to the Father but by me. In Hebrews 13, 12, the writer of Hebrews expresses this as he writes, Therefore Jesus also that he might sanctify the people with his own blood suffered outside the gate. You see, it's by the blood of Jesus Christ that we've been cleansed. Remember Psalm 32? Blessed is the man whose sin is forgiven, whose transgression is covered. You see, it's forgiven, taken away, covered with the blood of Jesus Christ. That way, when you've been made holy by Jesus Christ, God looks at you and he sees Jesus. He don't see you. Now, if he saw you, you're despicable to look at because you're, you're sinful and righteous, as I am. The Bible says my righteousness is as filthy rags. That's my righteousness. I didn't say unrighteousness. Isaiah said our righteousness, the best we can do, is like filthy, stinking rags. So when God looks at me, and I've kept the law, I've done these things, I've, that's still filthiness to God because it's not perfection. Only when he sees the blood of Jesus Christ applied to that person's life can they be holy. How does he make me holy? I have given my life to Jesus Christ. I believe that his blood shed on the cross of Calvary was to forgive me and save me. How does he make me holy? He makes me holy through the word of God. This, this aspect actually speaks more of the moral transformation side of holiness. John 17, 17, Jesus said, Lord, sanctify them by your truth. You remember in Ephesians 5, Paul was talking to husbands and wives, but he said that the Christ, like the husband, washes the church like the husband does his wife with the washing of the water by the word. It's in Psalm chapter 19 and 119 that we learn the power of the word of God on the life of the believer. It says the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. And then we read in Psalm 119.9, How can a young person cleanse his way by taking heed according to your word? In verse 11, Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. You see, the word of God has this transforming effect. It's been said that either sin will keep you from the word or the word will keep you from sin. You see, if you're in sin now and if you don't feel holy, I challenge you, I encourage you, I implore you, get in the Word of God. This book is powerful. It's living. It's active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It has power that you cannot fathom. That if you will read it, it has a cleansing, refreshing, renewing quality about it that you cannot continue in it and continue in sin at the same time. Either you will put this book down or you will put your sin down, one or the other, but never both. And number three, how are we made holy? By the Holy Spirit. You see, when Jesus Christ ascended to be with the Father, He said, I will send you another helper. Why do I need help? Because I can't be holy on my own. I didn't make myself holy. I can't be holy on my own. I need the Holy Spirit living within me, motivating me, challenging me, encouraging me, giving me the power and the ability I need 
to live a holy life. John 14, 17, Jesus said to his disciples, the spirit of truth. Remember he said, sanctify them by your truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. By the way, the word of God, Psalm 119, over and over it says, thy word is truth. And then Jesus calls the Holy Spirit the spirit of truth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 11, the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit's role in sanctifying us. He says, And such were some of you. What was that? Well, thieves, covetous. Well, let me start at the beginning of the list. Fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, extortioners. He said, none of those people will inherit the kingdom of God. And he said, and such were, past tense, some of you. But you were, past tense, washed. That is, it's, if you've been saved, it's past tense, you've been washed. You were sanctified and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. What you notice, the past tense of that, first of all, is that it's a one-time act. When you come to Christ, He sanctifies you, He cleanses you, He washes you. And it's by the power of the Holy Spirit and through the blood of Jesus Christ. So, let me answer this last question for us. We've talked about what is it, who does it, and how. Now, what's your part? What's my part in this holiness? 1 Peter 1.15 says, As he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. In his book, The Pursuit of Holiness, Jerry Bridges points out that in some circles, holiness is equated with a series of specific prohibitions. Don't smoke. Don't drink. Don't dance. And if you do those don'ts, or if you don't do those don'ts, then you're holy. Hogwash. Because then you're just a Pharisee. You're a legalistic, proud Pharisee. For others, holiness means a particular style of dress or mannerisms. You've got to wear a certain type of clothing. As if a suit can make a person holy. Or a dress. Or wearing your hair a certain way or not having hair. can make. You know, as the monks used to shave the middle of their head. You know, I noticed that most men don't have to do that. Just natural. You've been set apart by God. <laughs> My dad would say, God only made a few perfect heads in this world, and the rest of them he covered with hair. <laughs> Isn't that right, James? <laughs> and for still others, holiness means unattainable perfection. Because there's some of you sitting here today before this message began, if I were to ask you, are you holy, you'd have said absolutely not, because you think it means perfect. And it doesn't mean perfect at all. Only God is perfect. But when God says, be holy as I am holy, why would he tell us to do something we can't do? In his preface to this book, The Pursuit of Holiness, Jerry Bridgers talks about how a farmer plows his field, sows the seed, fertilizes and cultivates it, all the while knowing that in the final analysis, he is utterly dependent on forces outside of himself to produce the crop. 
He cannot germinate the seed. He cannot cause the rain to fall on it. He cannot cause the sun to shine upon it. He cannot cause it to sprout. But for a successful harvest, he's dependent ultimately on God to grow that crop. But yet he knows unless he diligently fulfills his responsibilities to plow that field, to plant that seed, to fertilize it and cultivate it, he cannot expect a harvest at the end of the season, but that he is in partnership with God. And farming is a joint venture with God and the farmer, just as holiness is a joint venture with you and the Father. He makes you holy. He consecrates you. He transforms you. But if you aren't plowing, if you aren't sowing, if you aren't planting, if you aren't cultivating by spending time in the Word, by praying and walking with the Father, by obeying and being a part of a church family like this, then you can't expect the harvest of holiness in your life. The Bible says in Hebrews 12, 14, Pursue holiness, not Happiness. Happiness will come when you pursue holiness. The word pursue suggests two thoughts. First, diligence. Secondly, that effort's required. And by the way, it is a lifelong task. You'll never get there to perfect holiness. But you must never stop participating and partnering with God in that process. That's why Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable act of service. It's something that's reasonable. Is something that God says you can do. You can be holy. The Bible says in Ephesians 4, one of the ways we do this is by putting off our former conduct. The old man which grows corrupt according to deceitful lust. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. What renews my mind? The scriptures would. If I get in, I'm in the Holy Spirit would if I'm in the scriptures. And he says, and... That you put on the new man which is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So you see, holiness is what God wants you and I to pursue. And to pursue holiness means we must pursue God who is holy. And, and here at Christmas time, if, if you have holy days, you will have happy days. Happy Holy days. In fact, I'm not so sure if we shouldn't reverse that greeting. Holy days, happy. Because holiness begets happiness. In John chapter 13, I want to close with this, and this is the invitation that God extends to us this morning. You remember in the upper room, before Jesus began the talking with them in John 14, 15, and 16. In chapter 13, we find that Jesus is washing the disciples' feet. Well, he comes to proud Pete. And Pete didn't think that Jesus, this holy man, should be washing his dirty, stinking feet. 
You see, I'd rather wash feet than have mine washed. That's a humbling thing to have somebody wash your feet. So Peter said in verse 9 of John 13, he said, Lord, I'm sorry, he said, uh, verse 8, Peter said, you will never wash my feet. Jesus said, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. I want you to hear that. If you haven't been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ, you have no part with him. doesn't matter if you're a church member, Sunday school teacher, deacon, religious or not. If you haven't been washed with the blood of Jesus Christ, you don't belong to him. When Peter heard those words, he said, Then Lord, don't just wash my feet, wash my hands, my head, wash it all. Peter said, I, I, I don't want to not be part of you. I want to be all in. Are you ready to be all in? Some of you just want to do this with holiness. Yeah, I got a little holiness. That's all the holiness you want. Just enough to get you through Sunday morning. You got to be all in. And then Jesus said something else. He said, Peter, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet. He is already completely clean. So Jesus was assuming, not assuming, but he was saying to Peter, Peter, you, I've already bathed you, I already washed you in a spiritual sense. He says, and you're already completely clean. But he says, your feet are dirty. You know, when we live in this world, we do get, we walk through some junk, don't we? We step in some messes, don't we? We trip and fall into them sometimes. Sometimes we intentionally do it. We get dirty again. Or at least our feet do. But Jesus said, you're already clean. That is, you're already saved. But you need to have your feet washed. Some of you here this morning, you're saved, but you've been walking in some filth. You need to get out of it and let Jesus wash your feet. Let Him cleanse you of that sin that keeps bowling you over. But then Jesus said something else very interesting. He said, but not all of you are clean. Who was he referring to? Judas. Judas was in church that night. He was in the upper room. He got his feet washed like everybody else. He got his feet washed. He didn't get his heart washed. Because he wouldn't surrender to Christ. And you see, there may be some of you here this morning who... Just come every now and then to get your feet washed. To feel good about yourself. To get your daily dose or your weekly dose of religion. Just to feel good about yourself. But your heart's far from God. And you're not clean at all. You're not saved. 
And if you died, you would go where Judas is, hell. It's time that you surrender to Jesus Christ and let him wash you completely. Body, soul, and spirit. And he died. He left heaven, as Morgan sang about. Who would do such a thing? Why? For you. Nobody did that for you but him. And the demands of us then are to surrender to him, to give our life to him. Ask him, Lord, I surrender to you. I know I'm a sinner. I've messed up. My heart is dirty. I want you to cleanse it. I want you to forgive me and save me and make me holy. What better time than these holy days of Christmas? Let's bow our heads.